perhaps my favorite edition of the 719 Coaches show that I've recorded so far. My name is Dan Mormon. I took the time to chat with Pine Creek Boys basketball coach Joe Rausch about the upcoming state tournament. We did it uh, in a rather unique place, different than any other interview I've done. We were in the bowels of the clubhouse at Patty Jewett Golf Course. The only way to describe this is an empty game room. There was a covered pool table, a couple of empty tables, perfect spot to sit down. If anyone can hear a slight humming in the background, that was the that was the heating system that was just constantly circulating through. So uh, it's faint. I hope no one notices, but that's the reason for that slight hum, if you can feel it. But the interview with Joe was great. We uh, we had a great time talking about. All things Colorado high school basketball. We touched on the 5A bracket a little bit. We touched on a little bit of classification changes that maybe we'd like to see in the future. And of course, we touched on that hot button issue that is the shot clock in Colorado. So sit back and enjoy this 5A boys basketball preview and my interview with Pine Creek head coach Joe Roush. So I like the idea of doing this where we are. We're, we're in the game room, the basement of the Patty Jewett Clubhouse, because if there's, you and I have known each other for a few years now, if there are places that we run into each other randomly, it's either a high school gym or Patty Jewett. So this just felt like an appropriate spot to, to have a conversation. So I hope you're good with that. Absolutely, yeah, this is a, a great spot to talk some basketball. Right, and then it gives you something to look forward to once the, the playoffs are over here in the next month, so. Um, let's get a little background on you. I've, I've, I've known you for a few years, but I don't know the full extent of your story. Uh, are you a Kansas guy by nature? Is that where you're originally from? Yeah. Um, um, grew up in, grew up in a little small town called Williamsburg, Kansas. Uh, started, you know, my sports journey there, but was really thought I was a baseball kid. And, um, we moved when I was in eighth grade to a small, another small town in Kansas, Andale. And from there is really when I found basketball was my true calling when it came to sports. Was lucky enough to um, make two grade eights back to back my junior and senior year. And then had a chance to recruit myself to play out at Adams State for Coach Drangmeister out there as a, um, a kid that didn't understand what I was getting into with college basketball. So it took me a couple of years to really get my feet underneath me, but got to finish out at Adams State in 95, 96. Why stick around Colorado? Honestly, the weather. Um, <laughs> didn't miss the Kansas humidity in the winter or in the summer, and it's just beautiful out here. And you know, I made everybody always says that when you go to college, that's where you make you know your best friends for life, and and that kind of stayed true for me. And so, um, Adam State and Alamosa was such a great place for me, you know, as a Kansas boy to to go to school and and meet some of those people, including you know my wife who. Uh, um, uh, you know, made some of these great relationships that just didn't want to leave them. And, um, you know, I love going home to see my family, uh, but uh, kind of Colorado got in my blood. And so just stayed out here. Where did your coaching journey start? So, you know, it, it really happened after I got my degree from Adams State. I didn't really know what I was going to do with it. I had a degree in history government and um, had a couple people talk to me about a potential uh, opening at Alamosa High School to coach their freshman team. And it just so happened the head coach there was one of the legends in the, in the state, Ken Nevin, who, um, you know, I think he won four state titles in Alamosa, went to, oh, tons of great eights, and then um, went to Centaurus, and I believe finished up his career up in Monarch after that. So Coach Nevin gave me a chance, and I think he really did because as a year out removed from being a college player, he had a 
future Division I starter out of Utah um, that played on a Final Four team as a freshman that he wanted somebody to go against in practice. And even as a college graduate, I still wasn't as good as this kid. Um, so uh, I think that's why he, he, you know, he, he brought me on. And, and then, you know, I, I learned so many great le lessons working with Coach Niven that he gave me the confidence and a bug that eventually I knew would be part of my career as long as I stayed in education. And then how did you make your way to the Colorado Springs area? So, um, you know, after graduating from, from Adams State, they're just you, you kind of go where jobs take you. And I was lucky enough that I had some connections out at Ellicott, which is where my first job was, and they uh, needed some help with coaching girls basketball out there. They had hired a first-year um, coach right out of college as well, and, and they knew that I had a little experience at least working with Coach Niven. And so it just was the right opportunity and the right time, and it brought me into this area and, and just haven't left. Well, what, what years were you at Ellicott? 98 to 01, I believe. Okay, so you were coaching. Uh, you would have been there when the class that graduated with my older brother in 01, uh, and you would have played against Manitou in, yeah. in a few games. Yeah, definitely. Don't remember the, the, you know, the boys' side as much because I wasn't you know, working with them. Um, but back then, uh, there was a – gosh, I'm going to forget her name, but she was a big-time player at Kiowa. And I don't remember where she ended up going to school now, but it was really a good lesson for a young coach out of, out of college to see we've got a normal team of kids, and now we've got this D1 talent playing at another small school. And to get to see that in the high school level, it's not always going to be equal, and you've got to figure out some you know, uh, um, personnel decisions and how do you handle kids that don't have the same kind of drive that other kids do. And it was, it, you know, it's great learning opportunity for a young coach to, to see the different levels of kind of kids you're going to see and coach against and, and have on your own team. And then eventually you made your way to Sand Creek yep. and then to now you're at Pine Creek. What's been the challenge uh, coaching up at Pine Creek where you have this culture of athletic success? And was that daunting for you to come into from, from a coaching standpoint? So I will say, I'll answer that question this way. It wasn't because I was naive enough and um, maybe a little bit um, self-assured that after what we had done at Sand Creek for four years, we just had an amazing run there that, you know, I was confident enough to think that, okay, Pine Creek embraces a sports culture. Um, we'll go up there and, and do what we do and, and try to make basketball on the same level as football and wrestling and soccer and baseball and the other sports that Pine Creek is known for. Um, the difference has been, though, is that Pine Creek, it's been a real challenge to build a basketball culture there. And, um, you know, Pine Creek had a number of really good coaches before I got there with Coach Stewart right before I was there and then Coach Castle, who was there for years. And th some of the challenges that they faced are still the challenges we face today. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to build a program that wins year after year after year. And those coaches that have done it in the state deserve all the credit for creating the culture that allows that to happen. Um, but in a place where there's such big, powerful programs that everybody knows about, they think it's easy to do in the other programs that are not those. And it just doesn't quite work that way. Um, realistically, being a 5A school for the last 15 years, but being one of the bottom five population-wise, is just a massive challenge when it comes to the depth and the, you know, the, the, um, you know, the number of, of kids that are devoted to basketball as a primary sport. Whereas, you know, some of the bigger schools in the state, the Thunder Ridges, the Cherry Creeks, 
these kids specialize in a way that we don't really see. We're still trying to encourage kids to be multi-sport athletes and you know, we really believe in that. But the problem there is that um, those aren't really the kind of kids we're playing against when we get to the big power, powerhouses at 5A. What do you see from those schools? And I, I'll go back a couple of years to the old 5A Colorado Springs Metro League. So your Fountain Fort Carsons, your Palmers, your Doherty's, your Ramparts. Um, there is a little bit of basketball culture with some of those schools. What do you see from them that you're hoping either you can mimic or just some lessons that maybe you can apply to your program to help it grow moving forward? You know, I think, I think the, the best lesson we can take, especially if we look at like a Fountain Fort Carson and a Doherty, is that um, as, much as, as much success as they've had basketball-wise um, over the last 20 years, one of the things we can see is that those schools have had a lot of success with multi-sport athletes being a part of their basketball programs. So, you know, Doherty had a really good team with Joe Golden um, a few years ago, and, and you know, he was a, an athlete that was going to pursue a different avenue when he got to college. And um, Lodeholt from Fountain is the best, you know, example of probably, you know, anybody in the city over the last 25 years or so. A guy that goes and plays in the NFL, you know, plays football at Oklahoma, but got them to, I think, a Final Four or a state championship game. Um, and so it's, it's finding a way to integrate that, to work with our multi-sport athletes, you know, in a way that um, um, lets them see that you can be successful at your primary sport, but you can also help another sport be successful, but then integrate that in with our basketball-only athletes that, to find that right mixture to, you know, build this winning program and a winning team. We're going to get into uh, the 5A bracket here in a minute, but this is the first basketball podcast that I've had the chance of doing this year. And it's always a hot button topic, so I always want to get everyone's perspective. High school basketball, shot clock or no? Should there be one? You know, um, I'm 100% in favor of a shot clock. Um, and I don't think anybody will ever accuse my teams of needing one because we, we never take 30 seconds to get a shot off. But uh, to me, I think it makes the game more exciting. Um, and there have been those games. We, we, when I was at Sand Creek, we had to scout a, a game in the first round of the state tournament. And both teams held the ball for the majority of the second half and, and would not come out. And it ended up going to overtime. And, you know, it had to be like watching paint dry for those fans in the crowd to watch that game. You know, and, we've, and I saw this happen not in a boys game recently, but in a girls game within the last five years um, in our league where the same thing happened, where they just held the ball. And I think that what makes basketball such a great sport is getting out and playing the sport rather than um, – and I know people would be like, well, you know, you can pull a team out of a zone and make them come out and play man. And I get that argument. And, you know, I just think that this, the, the sport is as it's most entertaining when it's up and down the court. And, and I think a shot clock helps that. And, and I think it also brings in a different kind of strategy into the game, which would be kind of fun and challenging for those of us that have been around the game our whole lives, except, you know, if we were lucky enough to play at a higher level. Um, but we haven't been around a shot clock. Uh, and I'm, I'm anti-shot clock in high school. I watch a lot of different levels. I watch both boys and girls, and I just personally don't see the benefit. I like the conversation, though, and that's why I want to have this with you. Um, you did some time down there in Alamosa. I make it sound like jail. You coached <laughs> down at Alamosa. You coached girls at Ellicott. Is it something that um, – is there a way to properly apply a shot clock so that all levels can benefit from it uh, 
as opposed to maybe, you know, it works for some of those 5A kids and this is going to create a lot of problems maybe down at the 3A, 2A, 1A level. Well, you might be more privy to this conversation than actually I am because one of the rumors we, we hear when the shot clock gets shot down each year in the state is that it's really the smaller schools that are making the argument for technology reasons or whatever the case may be. You know, I get the arguments for not for not having a shot clock. And, and I, I really, you know, being as old as I am and around the game as long as I've been, I, I'm okay either way. I, it's not going to make, I don't think it makes or break the game one way or the other, what we do. Um, I guess if we're, not, if we're going to do it, I'm not sure I'd be in support of it being at some levels and not others. And the reason I say that is I think it would actually, um, you know, why would we take a 1A athlete that's going to be a college basketball player and have them have a career in high school where they don't learn how to play with a shot clock. And so they're at a disadvantage when they get to the next level. Now, I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that we need to be worried about what colleges are doing with our kids. I just don't think that. That's We're a unique animal unto that ourselves. And, and I do believe that, that we need to keep ourselves that way. I don't want to get into recruiting. I don't want any of that to be a part <laughs> of our game, right? I, I do believe in this case that if, we, if we're not going to do it, then let's just not do it. But if we're going to, I think it needs to be across the board so that all athletes are, um, I don't know that we want to create in the same state a game that looks that different from level to level. Um, you mentioned the, the 1A player who might be going on to play college basketball. At the end of the day, is that really the end game for what high school basketball is supposed to be? Because I would, I would turn around again and make the argument that if you're catering to the, the one kid that's going to go play collegiately, then what about the 99% of the other kids who aren't? How is that going to be a benefit to them? So to answer that question, I 100% agree with you that when it comes to kids going on to play at the next level, um, that is so far down the list of what our job is in the high school game. Um, but I think we have to be realistic and understand that, that families are thinking about those kind of things. Um, I think that some kids play for clubs that force them to think about those kind of things. I think that if we made the decision to go to a shot clock, it would need to be the benefit of the high school game, and that would be our main reason for doing that. Um, and so, so yeah, um, I, I think that you know this discussion is a good one because I don't think there is an easy answer one way or the other. Because I'm in favor of a shot clock, I'm not necessarily saying it would make the game better. I personally think it might, but I might be wrong on that. And and I don't want to do anything to change the high school game from being what it's supposed to be, uh, because I think that we are unique. Um, in this world of basketball, when you factor into club and post, you know, high school ball, whether it's, you know, um, playing for a, uh, um, a college or a prep school or whatever that might be, that there's a purity to our game that I don't want to lose. And if the shot clock changes that in any way, then I wouldn't be in favor of that either. Um, but I don't know that we know it's going to do that until we get to that point. That's, and that's, that's a very fair argument. Um, the, the stall game that every whether it's a high school sports media guy, opposing coaches, every, the stall game that everyone points to, those video clips that go viral on Twitter, are those coaches doing a disservice to those kids in playing basketball that way? No. They're doing what they think is best for their kids in that situation, and they should have the opportunity to do that if the rules say that they're allowed to do that. Um, 
I think it's, this, is, this is an interesting issue for a couple of reasons. Um, I think a lot of us don't necessarily coach the kind of kids that are skilled enough to be able to play that way against a clearly superior team. You know, when Dean Smith's North Carolina teams were running the four corners back in the day, um, and if they were playing against a team that was, you know, more talented or whatever, which was probably rare, they still had skilled kids that could play keep away in a way that I'm not sure a lot of us have kids that could actually do that for, you know, a long extended possession these days. Um, because the game has changed a little bit. We don't get, you know, um, you know, most of our kids that we get these days are used to playing quick. They're, 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 they're running options offensively that are quick hitters. Um, they're being taught to take the first good shot they get rather than working for the great shot. And so the game has changed a little bit anyway. Um, so I think that's one of the issues is that I think one of the reasons why some of us might put myself there too in favor of a shot clock is because I'm not sure we could use the stall game as a strategy even if we needed to against some of the you know great athletes that we see in our league or in the state at, at our level. Um, but the, the other side of that is, is that, yeah, I would never say that a coach that is using that because they think it benefits their team is doing something wrong because I just don't think they are. All right. Um, I, I always like this conversation. I'm probably going to have it with a couple more coaches, hopefully before this season is over. Um, but let's shift gears. Uh, 5A boys basketball brackets got released. We're recording this on a Monday. Probably not going to air it until a Wednesday. But yesterday you, uh, you got to see what your path is. Through this bracket, you start with Heritage at home on Wednesday. What's uh, what's your early take on the Eagles? So haven't haven't completely um, dived into everything about them that we will. That's that's on uh, you know on the plan for the rest of today. Today's practice we use to um, work on us. Tomorrow we'll use to the whole practice to prep for Heritage. Um, boy, they play hard. They, they, they scrap, they change up their defenses. Um, we're going to have to be engaged, not just physically, but mentally, to have a chance to win that one. They come from a really, really tough league where they've been battle-tested all year. Uh, you know, they're going to be, they're going to be, a, and it's, you know, a state tournament, so it should be that. We, we came in as, as the 32 seed, which means we got matched up with the next closest team to us on the bracket. You know, so so we're playing somebody that could have easily been that 32 seed if things had broke just a little bit differently for either team. Now, the beauty of our seed is, is that we get to host a playoff game on on Wednesday. And, and in the history of Pine Creek boys basketball, that has not been a regular occurrence. So, you know, we're really happy that that we get that opportunity. Our crowd has been unbelievable this year. Our student body has been just amazing. Um, we adopted a couple of years ago this, uh, the, the student body adopted this goose that it's a decoy that you would see out on a pond, you know, that, that they bring to games and it's become part of the culture of bringing it to Pine Creek, you know, for, for, for our big sporting events. And, and, you know, to get that home playoff game with our home crowd, how great it's been this year, especially, you know, when the kids didn't get to play in front of crowds last year, um, you know, we're really happy with that. Now, the flip side of that is we got to turn around and, you know, play the defending state champs who were undefeated last year and have one loss this year um, if we're lucky enough to get by Heritage on Wednesday. So, um, you know, the way we're looking at it is that we're in the state tournament and you're going to have to play the best at some point. So we're going to have a really, really tough one on Wednesday. And if we're lucky enough to get through that, then we'll worry about Thunder Ridge if we get past Heritage. How much are kids these days still, because it was back in our day was almost everything. How much are they paying attention to seeds? 
You know, I think that, I think that it really depends on the group of kids you have each year. Um, this year's team has, for me, has been a team that I, I don't think we're thinking that far down the road. They truly were thinking about the chance at a league title versus Lewis Palmer on Wednesday. And the way we set that up this year in the PPAC was really interesting. I don't know that the PPAC or the CSML will ever do anything like it again, but it was an interesting setup that I think, you know, the guys after that opportunity was lost on Wednesday, I don't think they knew how to adjust to like re-engage themselves for that last regular season game for third and fourth place because who wants to play for third or fourth, right? Against an unbelievably good Air Academy team. So, you know, I'm not sure that, that, that we as a staff got them as prepped for Saturday's game as we could. But I think to go back to your original question there, I don't know that they were thinking that far down the road because they'd really bought into next game, next game, next game. And they'd put so much on going up to LP on Wednesday night and doing the best they could. And LP just shot the heck out of the ball. And they're the overall number one in 4A. And for good reason, they are a very, very talented squad. And, and you know, Coach Benton has a chance to, to win another state title this year, I think, if they can get by the Souths and some of those other tough you know, tough draws in that, in that 4A bracket. But, um, yeah, I think, the, I think the guys weren't really concerned about that because they were just going next game, next game, next game, which is what we really preach as a staff anyway. Um, you've had some guys who have played well this year. Now, I'm, I'm a writer by nature, so I only need to know how to, how to spell it, but is it Alex uh, Esterl? Esterly. Esterly. Esterly, okay. yep. Um, when you have guys like him and, and Keaton Clay, those – those leaders on the team, the guys that you really need to step up this time of year, what are you seeing from them that gives you confidence on a Monday before you're, you open the state tournament that, you know, Wednesday's going to go your way? It's, it's a great question now, and, and, and I'm going to have to answer that in a unique way. So Alex really rolled his ankle, and he, he, he had rolled it, you know, a little bit earlier in the season, but against Pueblo West two weeks ago, he rolled it really good. Now, this kid is a freak athlete, and – kind of brushed it off and had one of his best games of the season against Fountain two days later. But that thing really swelled up on him and he struggled with it in the last week. So we're hoping, he got through a full practice today, we're hoping that he's going to be 75-80% of who he's been most of the year. Um, and, and I think that that's been something that the team has, you know, um, it, it's been hard on them to see your most physically dominant player not be himself. I think it did take away our confidence a little bit going against two of the three best teams in our league over the last week. Um, but the guys understand, and, and, and really, Keaton, during that time that Alex was dealing with that, had his best run of the season right before it. So he would really had stepped up and helped us. But when, with Alex being hurt the way that he was last week, it's a little bit easier for Air Academy and for LP to key on everybody else because Alex just couldn't move. So, uh, you know, those guys, when they're healthy and playing, um, you know, at, at, their, at their highest level, uh, yeah, they definitely bring confidence to the other guys on the team. But it's not just those two. Um, we have seven seniors on the team. And in their, in their own way, they've all been amazing leaders this year and have, have really, you know, um, um, taken on the roles that we needed to, needed to to be as successful as we've been so far this year. So the, the great part about this team is it's not just all, it doesn't fall on Alex or Keaton's shoulders to lead them. Uh, when I saw you against Liberty earlier this year, a game that you guys won and played really well in the second half, you told me before the game that the thing this team has been lacking all season is an element of consistency. Have they started to find it? Yes. Yeah, that's one of the things that since – so when we had talked during that Liberty game, we played really well in the fourth quarter of that. 
And then we went out to Kansas and played a, a team from uh, a suburb of Kansas City. And they, they were a very solid team. Um, and we just did not show up and handle them at all. And it was probably the lowest point of our season as far as from being prepared from a competitive standpoint. And from that point on, the team has kind of come together and decided, okay, we're not a perfect team and we may not win every game, but we're not going to lose it because we don't compete. We don't play as hard as we can. And once they've done that, we went on a great stretch. I think we won six out of seven coming back from Kansas before last week. And then, you know, when you play a Lewis Palmer and Air Academy, two of the best teams in the city, um, that's going to be rough for everybody, especially when you've got, you know, your, your leading scorer dealing with an ankle injury. And, and, but, you know, everybody's doing, dealing with those kind of things this time of year. Um, yeah, I think that this group has found some of that consistency, and it makes me feel a lot better about our chances going into the state tournament. It's been two years since we got to see this full playoff format. Last year was cut down significantly because of COVID. What, uh, what was your assessment just of how the bracket – you know, ended up being built and um, the teams that really have a shot of making a run at that state championship? Well, I mean, you know, it, it, it's kind of looking like in the 5A level, it's all everybody's coming from Shap and Thunder Ridge and that, that league. I mean, my goodness, the Douglas County, like there's so many good teams in South Denver this year. Um, they, yeah, I don't think the bracket really surprised anybody. There wasn't a whole lot um, of, uh, you know, surprises who the one seeds were. I, I think one of the things that the bracket does show is, and even though it was a two-year experiment that's going away next year, is just how good this 4A, 5A league down here has been this season. Um, you know, I think that, that Doherty, Air Academy, Vista Ridge, um, you know, at the 5A level is going to be a tough out for anybody in the state tournament. And at the 4A level, you know, to see what um, Palmer Ridge and, and, boy, Discovery Canyon is big and talented. And, of course, Lewis Palmer, um, and I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody from our league that's, you know, going to have a chance too. Um, you know, I, I really think that the, the strength and the balance in our league this year um, will help prepare the Colorado Springs teams for what we're going to see uh, in the state tournament, whether it's 5A or 4A. What would you rather, because of this experiment's going to end, uh, is it going to be more helpful to you to see all your 5A teams twice in league play in a given season, or does the variety of playing everyone once and getting that mix of, of talented 4A teams in there, do you think that'll help going into a state tournament just because you never get to see the consistency in the teams that you play and you have to be ready for anything? Yeah, you know, I think that, that this year especially. Now, maybe there, there will have been years where, you know, um, the, the 4A teams couldn't help prep, you know, um, the better 5A teams in our league for a, for a state tournament. Um, but, but that's definitely not the case this year. Cam Lowe is as good as anybody you'll see at any level in the state, you know. Um, um, he's Lewis Palmer's best player. And, and that kid, you know, he, he'd be a star if he was on Thunder Ridge or Denver East or Fossil, Fossil Ridge, any of these great 5A teams as well. So, you know, I think this was a unique year that, that – that our 4A teams in our league were so strong um, that, yeah, it did nothing but help prep us for what's coming. Heading into single elimination playoffs, knowing that every game can be the last time your team steps on the court, what do you tell, what do you tell your boys? What do you tell the seniors? How do you try and light that fire under them so that, you know, today's not it, that tomorrow needs to get here? It's a great question. And it's an even tougher question for us because of the unique situation we had two years ago. We had a really, really good 
senior-led team. We kept 11 seniors on that team, 11 out of our 12 spots. And that 12 spot went to a junior. Well, what that did is it meant that when COVID hit at the end of that 2020 season, that we lost a whole summer and off season of prepping our JV guys that were talented for being ready to play in a state tournament. And then with last year's strange season, um, we just couldn't quite get them there. Um, it was a team that has some talent, but we couldn't get them to mesh because we just hadn't played at the varsity level together. So this is the first go around for these seniors. And that's a challenge. So, you know, I'm not sure that we have to do a whole lot to get them motivated because they've been kind of chomping at the bit for this opportunity now for a couple of years or really for three years because these seniors were part of a really good junior varsity team that went undefeated two years ago. Um, and so I think the, the, the excitement is there. I think more than having to get them up for it is to keep them, um, you know, don't let that adrenaline get so high that we can't stay in control and play the way we want to play. Uh, and so it's going to be actually settling them down after that initial adrenaline rush that nobody can control that first part when the tip-off happens on Wednesday night. Besides Pine Creek, because I know that's who you'd pick, who do you like to win this 5A state tournament? You know, until um, um, you know, maybe, maybe we show otherwise if we're lucky enough to get past Heritage, I think you've got to go with, you've got to go with Thunder Ridge. Um, you know, they're, they're balanced you know, at the, at, from the backcourt to the, their, their, uh, their wings, and they got probably the best big man in the state, you know. Um, I, they're the defending state champs. They've been there. They know how to do it. They carry themselves like that, and they've got one of the best coaches in the state. Coach Ortiz does such a good job up there. I'm not just saying that because they're on our side of the bracket, um, but, but I do think you have to consider them the front runner. I'll tell you what, the guard play that they have up at Fossil Ridge right now really has me intrigued. And I'm really looking forward to getting a chance to see those guys. So I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm picking Fossil Ridge, but of this entire layout, I think that is one of the most intriguing teams in my mind. And um, hopefully I get, I get a chance to, to catch them. Hopefully they can get to the Coliseum. Well, I, you know, and, and to echo what you said, um, I've always had the belief that um, to win a state title, your backcourt really has more to do, that, do with that than anything else. Um, you know, when I was at Sand Creek, we were lucky enough to have a couple of really good teams, and we made three grade eights in a final four, and we never had a kid over 6'5 on any of those teams. But our backcourts were so solid, so good defensively and offensively, and led us that we were able to, um, you know, get by without being very big. So, I, you know, I agree with you there that, that I, I think a backcourt um, – and maybe this is part of the modern game where we've de-emphasized the big guy. You know, we don't see uh, as many Josh Scotts coming along, you know, as, as maybe we did the prior decade or whatever. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think that if you've got a good backcourt and you've got a little depth there, you've got a good shot of making the long run. All right, last one I've got for you. Uh, besides the shot clock, because we talked at length about that, you get to change one thing about next basketball season. You, you are commissioner for a day, and you get to change one thing about high school basketball heading into next year. What is it? Wow, that is a great question. You know, I, I, think, I think this is going to be controversial for me to say this, but, um, and it would have to be maybe not just a one season change, but a, um, you know, a, 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 a longer term change. I think what I would do is I would um, ask you know, those great people that give their time to run our High School Activities Association to um, separate up the 5A 
group that we have now, and I know that 6A is still on the table, but to separate this up in a way that where if you have 2,000 or more kids, you're in a classification by yourself. And I think that would end up being like 28, 30 schools in the state that would fit in that. And then the rest of us, maybe we form a high 5A or whatever we would want to call us, um, you know, the schools that are between 2,000 and 1,500 kids. And I, and I think that's what I would do, because I think like the way that we have it set up right now is that unless you have that once in a lifetime type player surrounded by an unbelievable set of other high school athletes, I think it's really hard for the smaller 5A schools to ever think they've got a real legitimate chance to make a Final Four run. Just because we're never going to see the depth that a school with twice as many kids is gonna have an opportunity to. So I, so I think that would be the one thing that I would really, really like to see us change to give, um, you know, because you know, in, in just Colorado Springs, in the last 20 years um, at the 5A level on the boys' side, I believe Fountain and Doherty are the only two teams to ever make a grade eight or final four run. And when you looked at both those schools, the one thing that stood out was their population at those times were just bigger than anybody else in the city. So I think there is some kind of correlation there. And that doesn't mean that small schools can't win it. They, they absolutely can. Um, but I think that the, you know, to have that team that is this really solid um, group of kids that, that can make a run but just doesn't quite have the depth that you're gonna find at a bigger school. Um, I think I'd like to see us balance that out just a little bit better so that we give this middle tier of schools more of a legitimate chance to make a grade eight or a final four. That's a good, that's the classification conversation's always an interesting one. Maybe, uh, maybe once all this wraps, once everyone goes on spring break, I wouldn't mind grabbing you and, uh, maybe a 4A coach, a 3A coach, and just sit down, turn on the mic and say, classify the schools, go, and see how long it takes you guys to figure something out. Um, so the interesting part about that is Coach Jubik, our, our, our women's coach at Pine Creek, we sat down to make a presentation to Chassa when, before 6A was you know coming into the conversation, we had a chance to do that. So I've got all the data put together, so <laughs> whenever you're ready, I'm ready for that That's one. perfect. If yeah. I could change one thing, I would keep, say, championships at the World Arena, but that's just me. That I, would be great. Yep, that um, would be great. I, I appreciate the history of the Denver Coliseum. I won't say it's my favorite building in the state. So, uh, Joe, thanks a lot, man. This was, uh, this was fun. Hopefully this, is, this isn't the last time we do this, and best of luck to you. Thanks, Dan. I really appreciate it. Pine Creek opens its state tournament at home against Heritage on Monday. Should the Eagles win, they'll have to head up to Highlands Ranch and take on the defending state champion, Thunder Ridge Grizzlies. Coach Roush said if if you're going to win the whole thing, then you've got to beat the best team eventually. So maybe for him, it's better to take on that task sooner than later. Uh, I really enjoyed my time with Joe. He's a great guy. We've known each other for a while. We haven't played as much golf together as I'd like, and hopefully that can change this summer. But uh, good luck to the Eagles and the rest of the teams that start their 5A state basketball journey on Wednesday. Uh, we're still going to effort a 4A girls basketball coach for a preview. That field has been cut down to 32 after Tuesday's game. So uh, we'll see if we can get something going on that. And we may have some hockey stuff for you later in the week. Until then, this has been the 719 Coaches Show.